Welcome to the Occult London Podcast. This is a new podcast dedicated to exploring magic, mysticism, and the Kabbalah, as well as other topics. If you like the podcast, please write a review and rate it on iTunes, as it will really help us to get this message out there. Also, be sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk, where you can subscribe to the show. If anyone has any questions for me, then I'd love to hear from them, so please reach out via Facebook or on email, as I'd love to answer your questions. You can find my Facebook on the show notes or alternatively email me at occultlondonpodcast at gmail.com. I hope you enjoy it. In the previous episode, we discussed some of the origins of the Tetragrammaton or the name of God. And in this episode, we will be continuing with this discussion on how the name developed and also how it really became central in the mystery traditions. As we've already discussed, the name is extremely sacred to the point where it was blasphemy to speak it aloud. And owing to this sacred character from around 3000 um, BC, um, it was tended to avoid being spoken out loud, even when reading scriptures, um, as it was considered to be blasphemous. The importance of this is written about in lots of early sources for example Philo Judaeus of Alexandria Um, he was a Hellenistic Jewish philosopher who lived in Alexandria in the Roman province of Egypt and was very involved in the study of both Jewish and Greek philosophical texts writing in the first century in his Vita Moses he wrote the following If anyone I do not say should blaspheme against the Lord of men and gods, but should even dare to utter his name unseasonably, let him expect the penalty of death. And that's from the Vita Moses. Another early reference to the word is by Flavius Josephus, who was a first century Romano-Jewish historian who was born in Jerusalem which would then have been part of Roman Judea. He was born to a father of a, who was a priest and a mother who apparently was uh, in some way connected with the royal family. And Flavius wrote in his book Antiquities of the Jews in the first century. Moses, having now seen and heard these words that assured him of the truth of these promises of God, had no reason left him to believe, disbelieve him He entreated him to grant him that power when he should be in Egypt and besought him to vouchsafe him the knowledge of his own name. And since he had heard and seen him, that he would also tell him his name. That when he offered sacrifice, he might invoke him by such his name in his oblations. Whereupon God declared to him his holy name, which had never been discovered to men before concerning which it is not lawful for me to say any more. The word, the secrecy and the sacredness of this word is also mentioned in the book of Numbers, which is um, also known as the fourth book of Moses and follows the different tribes of Israel. It says the following. Pronunciation was forbidden except to priests of the temple during the benedictine of the people. A bit of a word about some of the Hebrew um, because unpointed Hebrew is made from consonants, um, it's impossible to write the name down in sacred 
books and hide its pronunciation. So, for example, Josephus, who we mentioned earlier, was meant to know the correct pronunciation of the name, but he states in his Antiquities that religion forbids him to divulge it. Um, Philo of Alexandria also says of the name in his On the Life of Moses that the name is that which may only be mentioned or heard by holy men having their ears and their tongues purified by wisdom and by no one else at all in any place whatsoever. Um, in some of these early traditions, one of the names of Tetragrammaton was the Shemha Mephoresh, or the distinctive excellent name. This designation is often assigned by magicians as well, um, and occultists to the 72 names of the three letters, which can be extracted using gematria from the three verses in Exodus. Um, but it's very close to the Tetragrammaton itself, and is also used in in a number of different magical systems and grimoires. So you see this in like Liber Juratus. You see it also in the Swarm Book of Honorius. The actual text that is used in this uh, system of Shemha Mefresh is from Exodus and it goes as follows. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood before them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them. But it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the nights. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. So as we can see the true pronunciation of the name um, was a closely guarded secret. The name was not spoken in the temple, it was not spoken in the street. Um, it was very much this sacred word that was used at a specific time by a select number. Uh, there's lots of different theories about this. With the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, um, it's likely that the use of the name in public ceremonies disappears altogether. However, some uh, scholars do suggest that it may have continued in a strictly oral tradition. For example, in the Talmud Quidditchian, uh, it says, The sages transmit the correct pronunciation of the four-letter name of God to their students once every seven years and some say twice every seven years Rav Narman Bar Yitzhak says it stands to reason in accordance with the one who says that they transmit it once every seven years as it is written this is my name forever Leolam, which is written so that it can be read Leolem to hide. This indicates that the divine name must remain heaven. Initially, the sages would transmit the twelve-letter name of God to any person. When the uninhibited ones, 
who used the name disrespectfully, increased. They would transmit it only to discreet members of the priesthood. And the discreet members of the priesthood would pronounce the name during the priestly benediction. They would conceal it by saying it during the sweet melody of their priestly brothers, so that it would not become publicly known. It is taught in a baraita, Rabbi Tarfon, who was himself a priest, said, On one occasion I ascended after my mother's brother to the platform to give the priestly benediction and I inclined my ear to near the high priest and I heard him conceal the name during the sweet melody of his priestly brothers. And it goes on. The 42 letter name of God may be transmitted only to one who is discreet and humble and stands at least half his life and does not get angry and does not get drunk and does not insist upon his rights but is willing to yield. There is no concern that such a person might reveal the name in a fit of anger or drunkenness. And anyone who knows this name and is careful with it and guards it in purity is beloved above and treasured below and fear of him is cast upon the creatures and he inherits two worlds, this world and the world to come. That's a quote from the Quidditchians. Um, as you can see, it's you, you know there's lots of rules around this word. Um, you know that they're not always applicable to people now. So this is not my views. It's just literally interesting uh, to see some of this history um, of where this word came from and the sort of secrecy and the sacredness around how it's used. Um, in the Jewish tradition, people were told when encountering this name to speak the word Adonai, which means Lord. And if the name yod heh Valhei and Adonai appeared on the same page, they were told to use the name Elohim, which means gods, in, in place of the Tetragrammaton. And this is to avoid the situation where you would say Adonai, Adonai. So it's difficult to tell exactly how it would be pronounced due to all this secrecy. However, the true pronunciation of the word or the name of God is meant to have been known in Babylonia and also by the Jewish magicians known as the Balai Shem or the masters of the name. And this mystic group are meant to have used it to drive out demons from the possessed. Uh, they also performed various sort of miracles and healing in the medieval period up to the 17th and 18th century, particularly in Germany, but also Eastern Europe. The Ballet Shem, we obviously don't know too much about them, but um, they were seen as sort of miracle workers who could bring about cures, healing, and through their mystical powers, they were able to sort of foresee, interpret events and also personalities. They were considered by many to have this direct line to heaven, um, so they're able to evoke the power of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God on uh, suffering human beings and also be able to perform miraculous feats through this, the use of this sacred name. These um, band of mystics 
and magicians were meant to have travelled around the countryside, um, performing miracles and cures in villages, creating talismans and amulets, um, and also driving out demons, so kind of providing this sort of exorcism um, aspect. It's a very big subject, and we don't have time to cover it all in this particular episode, but one of the most well-known figures in the movement was Baal Shem Tov, who is an 18th century Jewish mystic and he famously believed that the whole universe including mind matter is this manifestation of the divine Um, however he did also say that and this is from my understanding of this because this is a very in-depth subject that the manifestation of the world should not be considered to be an emanation of God rather that all things so everything you see around you your chair your doorway, your window, are forms in which the divine reveals himself. So it's not the actual manifestation of him, it's the form in which the divine is actually revealing themselves. And this view is actually really beautifully expressed in the following quote. Everything is by divine providence. If a leaf is turned over by a breeze, it is only because this has been specifically ordained by God to serve a particular function within the purposes of creation. That's a quote by Baal Shem Tov to to finish the episode. Hope you've enjoyed this one. Um, In the next one we will be continuing a bit more on the history and then we'll be going into the significance of the tetragrammaton from a cabalistic perspective from a magical perspective from you know uh, initiatory perspective as well so if you've enjoyed it do stay tuned thanks very much for joining us this week on the occult london podcast hope you've enjoyed it please make sure to visit our website at www.occultlondon.co.uk where you can subscribe to the show. Thanks. Bye-bye.